Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, welcome back to the Foolishness Podcast. This is episode 41. We are picking up session two from the recent sermon on marriage, the Never Fails Marriage Session from Christ City, Edmonton. In this, we unpack more depth and more of what myself and my wife went through, and I will challenge you guys to take your own lives to the Lord. Allow Him to shape your frustration, your bitterness, your anger. Stick around. This is all based on my book, Never Fails, and this really encompasses the first five chapters, but there's 30. You can pick it up on Amazon.com, go to BrianSumner.net, go over to the website and connect, hit me up, let me know. God bless you guys. Amen. All right, you guys, how we doing? No fights, right? No bringing up the past. People showed up. I got some cool questions people were asking me. But guys, if if you're in the foyer, come in and hang out with us. We're going to jump a bit deeper into this idea of marriage. How's that cake? You guys awake or what? We need some coffee, some sugar. Are you like, oh, man, I got this battle ahead of me, guys. View your marriage as a blessing. That couple I sat with, again, in that book, there's three couples Do you want to bail on something or see God do the miraculous because God shows up and and wages the war for us? So so guys, I'm going to begin to jump into this, but it's kind of obvious in the first session what I was doing. I was tearing down what you may think, what I may think to lay a foundation of in the beginning of the picture of God. We want to start with God's word, but here's the reality. We could leave this place knowing God's word and actually not do anything with it. And what do I mean by that? I mean this, that as we turn the corner, I want to take more of a personalized approach. Now, I want to unpack me and some of the things I've seen and what God has done because as much as your marriage is about your spouse, it's about God, it's about Jesus, it's about the Spirit, it's ultimately about what? It's about love. And that funny looking photo that we put up that not too many of you laughed at, thankfully, amen? The amazing thing is, listen, I had never read the Bible. Years ago, I had a crazy experience at about 15, getting knocked out, had this whole experience with God where I felt like he told me things. It totally left me in about two weeks, and I remember thinking, I'm going to go read the Bible. And so I opened up the Bible, the only one we had in the house. You know the first word I tried to read? I tried to read this word to barnacle. You know what that is? Tabernacle. I opened the Bible and I was like, what's a tabernacle? I mean, I'm from England and I never picked the Bible up again. And so years later when I drove out to Vegas, we go right of the strip, we go up to the chapel, we pay $439.99 and the pastor comes out who we've never met, the woman who owns it comes out who we've never met and she signs a certificate and the pastor reads this verse. It's a verse that you all know, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, but of everything to do with that night, this was the most significant thing because it rocked me. I'd never heard one word of the Bible other than the idea of God and Jesus and maybe a prayer, but Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 13, and let's just let it saturate us for a second. He says, love is patient, love is kind. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others and is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. There's not a time that I read that that I don't feel conviction. And conviction is a good thing. Condemnation is not of God. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. But conviction is good. If my daughter walked in here now and said something to you and began cussing, I would look at her and say, whose child are you? Why are you talking to people that way? Why? Because I wanted to know we want to represent our Lord and Savior as best we can. I wanted to have a conviction loving people, not being slow with their words in that sense. I say that because when I read this word, when I heard this word in Vegas, I was in tears, not just because I was marrying Tracy, but because this began to minister to me, this began to speak to me. And so as soon as we heard this word, what did we do? We said, well, this sounds awesome. I mean, if this is love is, I wasn't convicted back then. Apparently, you know, the Bible says love never fails. We'll take it. We got in our car. We headed to the hotel. And the rest for me was history. What's crazy is this was the love I brought into my marriage as an idea of, but it was not the love that I lived out. What I mean by that was my marriage is with my wife, but my walk is with who? God. And the Bible says if God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? The Bible says if we trust in the Lord, then love never fails. And that means even if my marriage were to struggle, or even if my wife went crazy and we separated, what I'm saying is we heard so much about what marriage is, but now what I want to do is I want to say to you, now that you know this, now that you prayed this, now that you know some verses or have mastered the verses that you know, What does it mean to leave this place tonight where I'm not going with you? Pastors aren't going with you. As you and your spouse leave together, what does it mean to begin to walk in this covenant with the Lord? You see, it's one thing to hear this be in church. It's another thing to bring this into the car, into the home, into the bedroom, into the job, into your life. And here's what I mean by that. It's like I grew up in Liverpool, England. When they say the term soccer hooligan, it is not just a term. Most people in England are soccer hooligans. Amen? I'm not kidding. I've said it before, but Mary Poppins, if she was real, would be somewhat of a soccer hooligan. The queen is probably yelling at her television right now. What I mean by this is if you go walking down the street in England with me and you look at someone for too long, you know what they say? They say, what are you looking at? And then you either say something back or not. They'll keep saying something to you. You might get pushed against the wall. It might be crazy. I don't know why. England is very aggressive. So when I'm talking about how we work out this faith, how I walk in covenant with God, how my Christianity is about him first, what do I mean? Is that Brian grew up in Liverpool where it's crazy. People are rowdy. People are aggressive. The city center is awesome. But I grew up where it's very aggressive. And so you either fight or you flight. And so I was kind of in the middle. Sometimes I would like run away and say, you know what? I'd go back. I got in so many fights as a kid, so many fights in school, so much craziness that by the ages of 12, 13, 14, what was I? I was passive what? Aggressive. I'm the guy that if a gunman ran in, I would run towards him. I'm the guy that could deal with someone abusing me. But as soon as you're something to you, I've got to go take the person down and do something. I get it, but here's the problem. 
I got married in Vegas. Our marriage was failing. I came to faith, and now you know what God had to deal with? My passive aggressiveness. Because when I would fight with Tracy, I would let it build up and build up and build up. And then I'd put my fist through the wall. Or I'd shout something that if someone said to my mom, I'd be like, really? That's what you just said to my mother? This passive aggressiveness would build up where I got in eight fights in one month when I wasn't a believer. This is all BC. Amen? I was hurt. I was wounded. I was crazy. So let's say I'm in the back sitting there, and here's Brian, and I just came to faith. Well, I guess that guy just preached the first session, and now marriage is easy. No. Now it just begins. I have to take the reality of who I am, and I have to leave these doors and go and say, Lord, I'm in covenant with you. And you're the one helping me die to self. I have to acknowledge my issues, my struggles, and be willing to put myself on the table, be dissected, and say, Lord, help me to change. At the same time, the woman I'd married now, her dad was always in her life, but they separated at seven. Her mom, like I said, was Italian. She had a dominance in her. She was a leader, and she had to step in for when the dad was away. So I'm marrying this woman, passive-aggressive Brian, who's also very driven, will speak loud if she needs to, has to be kind of the man around the home because dad lives somewhere else, or she would shut down and not say anything. I'm the kind of guy that if something's bad, I want to fix it right there. My oldest son, Dakota, he's the same way. He's out the house more often than not now, but even with his, his sister, Eden, if he would say something to her, not even be a mean, and she would get hurt, She could go sit on her bed and be quiet, and he would be so wound up until things are right with him. That's how I am. I don't want the sun to go down on my anger. I want to make all the wrongs right. But at that time, coming to faith, that's how my wife was. There was a guy who was passive-aggressive. There was a woman who would either blow up as well, or she'd hold on to be quiet. Why am I saying this? It's because I can't tell you tonight what your issue is. I can't tell you tonight what areas you are blowing it or what areas your spouse keeps reminding you of. And sometimes they're saying it too much, but sometimes it's the Lord saying, are you hearing what they're saying? Are you listening to what they are saying in you? Because as you put us together, Lord, as I'm living with this woman, here's the reality. Is that in your life, since the age of a child, these canals have been created in the way you think. When you speak, how you react, when you slam a door, where you go, what you do. This is how the world has shaped you and you have all these things in you. And the Bible says we're to be led by none of that. The Bible says we're to be led by who? The Spirit of God. That's why the first session was so much about the Word of God and trusting Him. The Bible says as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if my way of dealing all of this is passive-aggressive, it's great when I'm on your side. A guy comes in with a gun, I've gone over there and tackled the guy, and we're good, and yeah. But then when I'm opposed to you, when my marriage is failing, or now even as a Christian, and I'm trying to, to bend things this way, and my wife will be saying, well, I don't know about this, or I think we should do this, how does this work? Does she listen? Does she just get it and come alongside? Do I lead as best I can? No. It took us time of going through those seasons where some of you may be. Some of you may have been past them. I don't know. But I'm saying this to say, I can give you scripture all day, but until you own this and say, Lord, do this work in us, things aren't going to change. The best-selling books, the five love languages, you guys read it? Great book. It tells you all about the love languages and generally it's accurate, but even the author will say, this is not the Bible. 
Love and respect. The author will tell you, this is not the Bible. Why did I want never fails to be so biblically sound? Because I want you to leave thinking about the word of God. What I'm saying is, we want to leave tonight saying, Brian's passive aggressive and he had to bring that to the Lord. We have to leave tonight saying, I'm the quiet one. I'm the rowdy one. I'm the one more likely to fall into this sin. I'm the one more likely to do these things. How do I surrender them to God? Because here's the thing. If we don't do this, our marriage will not change. And I'm guessing for any of you who came here, your goal is to grow in the things of God and see God glorified in your marriage. Amen? So if I just said to you guys right now, what is marriage? If I say, what is marriage, what would you say it is? Anyone? What's marriage? It's a what? A partnership. Amen. Would you say marriage is a relationship? Okay, what do you do in relationships? You relate. You relate in a relationship. What I mean by that is this. When I met my wife, I was doing a backside melon grab over a pyramid. You have no idea what that was. My front foot came off, bent on the ramp. I'd met her years earlier, and I went home, called a friend, and said, do you have Tracy's number? She'd broken up with her boyfriend in New Jersey. She'd come home. Like I said, I looked more like a man. I hit her up. She responded. I went into a work and ate. What do you call that? Relating. I began to relate to this woman. I would go to the company I skate for and bring all these shoes in and drop off shoes at her work, and she would get spoiled. And they'd say, oh, you're starting this relationship with Brian. And I began to relate. We would listen to certain bands. We would eat certain places. We would stay up late. We obviously weren't believers at the time. So what did we do, though? We were relating. We built this relationship that was all about us, and she wouldn't go to work at some days. I'm top of my career, and money's coming in. And so we were relating, and then what happens? Then you get married. Then you have kids. And you put baby food in one end of a kid, and it comes out looking like baby food but smelling nothing like it. Amen? Then you go to work, then you have a job, then responsibility kicks in, and now you're relating how? Fighting over things. The struggles of life, the pain in the head. It's no longer just long hours and long walks and romance and getting in the car. And so your relationship becomes about relating sometimes in the negative things. You have to make tough decisions. You have to grow in certain things. And so what happens for some of you is you're still in a relationship but the negative things that have come in, you began to aim it towards one another. And I'm saying I was passive aggressive and she was someone that was quiet or blowing up. Your marriage has to be willing to leave tonight saying, this, and this, you got to know this. This is the spouse God gave to me and I am believing for it. I'm moving forward in this relationship. We're going to begin to relate in the things of God. That is the only way. If that person doesn't care for the Lord, doesn't want it, we got to pray and believe that they get the revelation, first of all, for the soul to escape eternity, separated from God in a place called hell, amen? But first and foremost, for the God of the Bible to invade their life and begin to transform them. Why do I say this? Because it took me realizing where I was and saying, babe, I know I'm angry. I hated getting in all those fights. I hated what we went through as marriage. I hated the things I seen growing up as a kid. It's a defense mechanism. I had to say, babe, can you help me with my anger? And can you start coming out of your shell and being more of a support than where you are? And you may say, oh, this dude's angry, guys. Everyone's angry. If I walked around here and began just pushing on your head, why did you wear that hat? Why did you wear those clothes? Why are you doing this? Look at the way your wife looks. What are your kids doing? Are you going to get angry? The Bible says anger isn't a sin. The Bible says in your anger, don't what? Sin. 
What I had to learn and realize, and I chose to go to anger management, I had to realize my biggest opposition to my walk is my anger. Men are generally more angry because that's how they deal with it. But I'll tell you, women are just as angry. The difference is they be quiet, they shut down, and sometimes this bitterness comes out in other ways. Obsessions with spending, emotional affairs, even fear that I'm saying this to say, I had to go to anger management. Remember I said, this second session is about you. If I was sitting here, I'd be saying, Lord, what's my issue? Well, it's anger. Well, babe, what's your issue? And I would not ask her that tonight, amen. Well, I guess I shut down, I'm too quiet, I'm too sensitive, whatever it may be. I had to learn anger management that anger is an emotion, but my response is what creates drama. So the things that would happen to me as I'm quiet and I can't take this guy running in right now, I can't take this and that, I would overreact and things would get crazy. And so my wife had to begin to realize and learn, and I know the verses, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun going down on your anger. And so what did we sit in? These are the real verses we sat in. My wife began to unpack these verses, and she, she began to read and pray things like this, First Peter 3, 4. It says of women to clothe yourselves with the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So if we were having conflict and she would blow up, act more like a commander than coming alongside, she knew this verse is saying, no, Brian, that's not going to go there. I, listen, guys, your wife will disrespect you more than anyone because if a man said the things to you maybe your wife has, you'd probably be in a fist fight. That's just the reality. Women are going to get told things by their husband that they should never say to anyone at times. Why? Because they're going to see the flesh. Before we were believers, I remember I would say things, and men, you've got to hear this, I'd say things to my wife that I didn't even believe in the midst of a fight. If I'm hanging out with one of you guys and something happens and you call me this, call me that, we're fighting in the snow out there, we can get up afterwards and say, bro, it's done. That doesn't happen with a wife. You say one thing 10 years ago, two minutes ago, whatever it is, and she held on to it. And some of you guys are nodding your heads. I see men. But ladies, you've got to hear me. He didn't mean it. Men say things. I'm, I'm going back to the reference of me in England. Here's someone on the street. What are you looking at? And I'd say something, and I'm gauging. And then I might spit at the person. This is all BC. And then I might be fighting with them. Men work like that. A woman doesn't. I had to realize my passive aggressiveness was so dangerous for my marriage. And my wife had to realize, well, wait a minute. When I shut down in my anger and bitterness, what was the whole lesson of the first session? It's not good when men is what? Alone. I'm going to bed where I don't know where my wife is. I don't know where her thoughts are. Recently, a guy came to our church, never attended, was mad at leadership, mad at pastors, and emailing people, calling people. My wife's doing this, and we don't even know who the couple were. And one of the pastor's wives said, Brian, why would he act like this? Well, Genesis says it's not good a man is alone. Amen? Even though I'm married to my wife, the more alone I am in situations, no. So she was shutting down. I was acting in anger and passiveness, and all these things began to shape. What is it that we have to realize? She took that verse in 1 Corinthians eleven seven. The Bible says of her that what? Woman is the glory of man. She had to realize, I come here representing Jesus as you represent him, but my wife, first and foremost, is my helpmate, my partner, my best friend, my lover, but she's also my glory. 
I'm to help sow into her as she grows. She's to help come alongside me so I can really rise and be the head. You think if she called me saying something crazy a moment ago, I could come up here and really share with me? Would you know? It's not good as man is alone. I'm saying that to say when you begin to own Who's the angry one? Who's the passive one? Whatever it could be, it could be things very different. That's for you and the Lord. But here's what we learned. Is that at our old church of Rock Harbor, there was a, a pastor there that was a doctor. And he said the most beneficial thing that he'd ever learned was when in the midst of an argument, couples learn to agree on what's known as a de-escalating line. You're in the midst of something and there's a trigger and one of you says it and it allows you to step away and say, we're not going there. I've seen so many people planning a church as getting in ministry. Satan begins to attack and bombard. The marriage falls apart. Why? Because they have no place of common ground. This man was in his 60s, almost 70, and he would say, this de-escalating line will change the way you fight, bringing things back to the core, to the cross. And so he says, it's this simple. Agree with your spouse on something you're going to say. And when things are getting too crazy, humble yourself and say it. Our line was this, simply. Let's not do this. This is not God's best. We love one another. I don't want to fight right now. Let's not do this. This is not God's best. We love one another. Here's why. I'm the kind of guy that likes to think through and process. So we could be somewhere like Target. This isn't a real situation, but it could have been. And we get outside and something's happening and whatever. And I go, you know what? I'm walking home. And I could comfortably walk home because I'm passive aggressive. And so what I did in a sense was right. I didn't say something rude, didn't say something mean, whatever. But what I did was I stopped relating. I didn't say to her, babe, what you said hurt me, is offended. I'm going to walk home for the sake of our marriage and see. Most of your issues are going to come from not connecting on the things you need to. When you have this line and you say it, what you're hearing is, rather than shout, rather than yell, rather than go sleep in the other room, Babe, I'm going to go sleep in there tonight because it's getting too crazy right now. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to go pray for us. Or I'm going to go call someone because I need to repent of some things I just said to you. And what that spouse knows is they're still in this with me. They're still for me. Not that they're off being crazy, doing their own thing. Is this making sense? Because here's what's going to happen in your marriage. Think about this. I mean, when did Satan show up? After they were what? Married. We don't even hear about Satan. God's there, Adam's there, all's good. But wait, now there's a woman that can be fruitful and multiply. Satan and his pride want to rise up and attack the very works of God. If Satan can get in with any offense, any distance, my anger, my wife's passiveness at times, there's going to be a whole thing that unfolds. And this is where he has a field day. And as I talk about the enemy, some of you get freaked out. What do I mean? Well, I heard a pastor recently he had a high, high, high-level military guy in his church, and his role after years of serving was to take soldiers and members of various forces out to training. And he's sitting with this pastor one day, and the pastor's like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, I take people going into battle, and I help them understand as they're about to be captured or tortured how to not give up information and to be able to sustain whatever the enemy has. That's a crazy job, right? knowing that you might be captured and crazy things will happen. And so the pastor said something I would have said. He says, well, what do you do? This? How do you do this? There's two things he said. pastor said there's only two. He said there's only two. There's only two things needed to break down a person. And, of course, because this is a physical thing, it's also a spiritual thing. The first thing is this. 
All the enemy really needs to do to that soldier is deprive them of sleep. Some of you are saying, oh, I'm tired already. I'm ready to sleep. But what he says is, if I can wear them out, drain them, exhaust them. If I can make this person tired and frustrated, they'll be willing to compromise. Their mind will go. Their sustenance will go. They'll be all over the place. If I can get them to this place, they'll compromise. And how often does that sound like a marriage? It might sound funny, but it's not. You might be exhausted and drained and tired and there's kids running everywhere and you want the house like this and your boss is going crazy. And if that man said he'd seen many soldiers go into battle and this is what the enemy would do, and they get so frustrated they would compromise. What's the second thing? I would isolate them. I would put them alone. I would separate them from other humans. And you see now why I'm using this? Because marriage is the communion, the setting apart of ourselves unto this spouse. We were meant to be the closest we can be with another human, but it's often the place where we feel the most what? Alone. If I can drain them, wear them out, isolate them, make them feel so alone, then they would compromise. For a bowl of soup, for 15 minutes of sleep, he said you wouldn't believe the way people would compromise. They are like other humans like you've never seen. Three or four days in, they will say whatever, do whatever. It gets so crazy. Do you see why I'm going there? Because when you reach this place where you're not planted in the house of God, I'm not saying that's what it's about, but it is. This isn't what saves you, but you need to be in the body. Hebrews says, don't forsake gathering together. I need to be in services, hearing, preaching, at times when you like it or don't, the songs you like or you don't. Maybe you need to hear that, amen? Put your rear ends in the chairs and say, Lord, deal with me. Even if one minute strikes through, praise God. But if he can isolate you, things are shook, and here's what the enemy does. Your marriage is falling apart, you're struggling, you're upside down, and suddenly things trickle in. That person from high school randomly finds you online and says, oh, wow, I haven't seen you for years. Or the secretary at wherever you work notices the way those pants fit or your new haircut or whatever. Or suddenly that movie or that song or whatever it is begins to speak something else to you. And if you think back to Genesis, Adam should have said it's written, but instead what did Satan say? Did God really say? I'm saying this to say when you are drained or worn out, you're less likely to go here because just think about this. We live in a culture that is bombarded over and over and over with this. And what does that mean? Guys, I grew up watching Friends. What is the story of Friends? We all live together and everyone sleeps with everyone. That's it. I literally have been falling asleep a few weeks ago. My wife had left the Golden Girls on and I watched the Golden Girls. You guys know that show? You know what they do in that? Most of them do the same thing. Most of them are just doing this and doing this and doing this, and no one's thinking about pregnancies or abortions. No one's thinking about diseases. We're living in a culture, and when you're this isolated or alone, anyone's attention feels right. The enemy comes in, and I say this to go there automatically. The affairs and the emotions and the rest that will shadow where you are don't happen in the bedroom. They begin when you are weak and drained and tired. As I told Pastor today, just sitting in, my, in the room with my daughter today, and she's, you know, drawing and playing games, I'm like, man, it's so awesome that if I just get to share these truths tonight, that just one marriage can be touched, that just one family can believe and trust and stand on it, and when that person's about to succumb, they say, I see that this is greener grass, but no, I need to be where I water it. 
I need to go there to battle. Song of Songs says to keep the foxes out of the vineyards. And so I'm saying this. Why? Because if you go on my phone right now, if you go to my Instagram, of all the accounts between myself and my wife, we have access to them all. Everything that's out there, my wife has access to everything. Why? Because I'm trying to do all these things? No. Because I want accountability. Two of those couples I sat with in that book, both the wives at times said, well, man, he was just such a Nazi or so serious about marriage. And I said, well, if you would have listened to him back then, would this have happened? God wants to use your spouse for protection. The word religion, we don't get it today, but the idea is a hedge. It's literally a fence that protects us. The Ten Commandments are meant to lead us to the promises of God. So for me, I want accountability. If I got home, my wife's suddenly like, hey, is this going on? Is that going on? Why don't I want this available? I get it. Some are going to be overly jealous or issues, but I'm telling you this. 80, 90% of the marriages I sit with, if there's been infidelity, the person committed it says, I don't know how this happened. I might have shared with this years ago, but when you go back to the New Testament and you read the Apostle Paul, in that day if you committed a crime, you know what they would do to punish you? Let's say I robbed, you know, let's say there was cars back then, or I beat someone up violently, or something happened. One of the punishments would be they would take a dead person, because there was many people crucified at that time, many dead bodies, and they would take that dead person, and what would they do? They would tie him to you. So this is what you did, Brian? You're sitting in a cell carrying a dead person. That's what Paul says our Christianity is like. When he says, wretched man that I am, what he means is a dead body is on me. The old Brian is here. All the sin I've ever committed, I could still thrive in it. So I want accountability. I want pastors to message me. I want my wife to know where I am. I want to be up to date. Why? Because here's the problem. We've made jealousy such a bad thing, and it is, if I'm jealous for my glory. But there's a godly jealousy. I'm jealous for you to know the Lord. I'm jealous for your marriage. I'm jealous for my wife. I'm jealous for my kid's future. The enemy has done such a good job with simply a phone that happens to just have an apple that's cut out of, amen? And anyone know what the first apple ever sold for? You know how much the first apple cost to buy? 660 what? Six dollars. That's exactly how much the first apple was sold for. Am I opposed to apple? Is this demonic? No. But I'm saying we live in a world where Satan is the god of this age. And I say for you, whether it's anger, whether it's passiveness, whether it's whatever, I want accountability from my wife, from others. With the things like this, listen, some of you are going to fall in the positions that you wish you never had without the accountability of a partner. And if I was to go even further and say, what is the biggest hindrance to our marriages, to our families, to it all? Guys, what's the first sin? Begins with a P. Pride. Do you ever hear anyone in culture talking about pride anymore? No. You know what we've done? We've made it so you don't talk about pride. You know what we talk about? We talk about self-esteem, self-worth, self, 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 and those things are good. You should say, I am a man of God. I am son of the Most High. I am a daughter of the King. You should walk in the authority and the anointing you have, and you should own it. The Spirit is in you. But if I'm hearing self, 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 self so much, you know who's going to become the center of my marriage? Me. And then when I get into it with my wife or situations happen, I'm going to begin to depend upon the things of myself. And the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. 
if I allow for the enemy to come in to wear me out, to distance me from trusting and believing, pressing in in the hard times, if the things of this world come in, be it something I'm finding online, be it the opposite sex, telling someone of my struggles, even if it's a person in ministry, well, me and and Tracy aren't doing too well. Well, why? You're such a nice guy, and when you preach, it just sounds so godly, and I'm sure you're great at home. No. The enemy will come to you like an angel of light. The Bible says that the enemy's looking for an opportune time. The book of Genesis says sin is what? Crouching. It isn't strolling. It's ready to pounce right now. Some of you need to hear just this. I know pastors who love the Lord that when they travel, don't even want the TV in the room. Don't even want to see the weather gale nowadays. This is for their marriage. They want power. You say, Brian, whoa, it's crazy. Listen, we can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going to school, planning our lives, planning our 401k, but be so reckless with these things so that when the enemy strikes, your home is gone, your marriage is shaken, and your kids are saying what's happening. God can restore all that, and even if he doesn't, he's still faithful, amen? God does not hate the divorce, though he hates divorce. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying you need to man the ship and say, Lord, I'm going to make no room for the flesh. Well, why can't you stand your boss? They're the worst boss ever. They're just so humble. Why are we going to war with that country? Well, that leader's just so humble. What was it that made you marry your spouse? Well, they're just so full of pride. No. If we live this selfish life, if we live with this pride, which is what the first sin was, Isaiah says that these five I wills of Satan, and it's all about him being more like God. This is what happens. But what do we see in Scripture? We see this of Jesus, Philippians 2, 7. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Wow. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. Philippians 2, 8. Found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. What I'm saying is, whenever I do things in my marriage, like the verse we read, 1 Corinthians, out of selfish ambition... There's always chaos. There's always trauma. There's always repentance afterwards. And why are we doing this? What are we saying? But when we walk in humility, listen, humility means the Lord has to move. He is moving in this time because what did Jesus say? I came not to be saved, but to what? Serve. We need to walk into this humility, not pride. And why? Here's what Ephesians says, Ephesians 5.21. And some of you are going to begin to get mad in a second. Go easy. It says, submit to one another. I can do that out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to submit, Lord, as the covering is the head. The Bible says I'm the head, not I might be. I need to be willing to die for her, to provide. If someone comes to the door mad, she's not answering. I am. To think long-term about my family, to think about what's in our future as unto the Lord. And as I do that, and she comes along and said, God, you gave me to Brian to help him. When he's acting like a dorky little kid and sometimes when he's freaking out and pastors tell you this, they say pastoring is one of the hardest jobs that preaching one session is like eight hours of work. How many pastors have we seen, friends of mine this past year, that have even taken their own lives? It's radical. I need my wife to understand her role, come alongside me and say, I'm here, babe. She needs to know I'm there, willing to go to war. But here's what it says in 22. And ladies, I'll get to the men in a moment. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. And as the church submits to Christ, let the wife submit to her husband in everything. And I could go somewhere here and women would say, where am I going? But what I want to say is this. Is this verse has been so abused in this sense. There is a big difference between submission and subjection. If I tell my wife to jump and she says how high, that is subjection. I'm not saying, ladies, you shouldn't take this verse and say, I want to come alongside him in the role. But what I'm saying is, I don't just tell my wife what to do. If she said Eden is not ready to travel, I'm not going to say I'm the head of the house. She's getting on the plane. This is what's going on. Deal with it. Why would I want to be here speaking life to you while my wife is at home resenting me? What it means is that she has to willfully say, Lord, I want to come alongside this man because I love you. And in that, I'm going to learn to love him all the more. Some of you know that song from years ago. Many of you hear it, you'll cry and feel convicted. And women, it'll put a right mindset in you. But that song by Sanctus Real, remember that song? What was it called? Lead Me. It's that song, Lead Me, and it's talking about a man. And so many women would say, that's the kind of man I want, and I agree. I would hear this and say, Lord, I want to be that loving. I want to be that kind. I mean, it was sometimes hard to hear. But what was often missed as women would say that was, the name of the song is Lead Me. The woman was willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to step into this, helping him. Because, guys, your ministry is together. Your ministry is as one. The Bible says a house unequally yoked, what? Isn't going to stand. So what it means is I'm going to come alongside in my role. I'm going to lead. And here's the problem. One of the things that happened in the fall, the curse. You guys remember the curse in Genesis? Some people say we're not under the curse. We're not in the same way. But ladies giving birth, was it super fun? Was it still painful? Genesis 3.16 even says this. Your desire will be for your husband, but he shall have rule. And it doesn't mean what you think. He's the commander and the chief and all the rest. It says your desire will be to control, but he is led to lead you. Does that mean my wife should do whatever I say? No. Does it mean if I want to watch things I shouldn't, you know, pornographic stuff? No. Does it mean if I want to tell lies and do things that are wrong? No. Does it mean that she should have a relationship with the Lord? I should. And then we are unified together in our vision? Yes. Guys, my wife is brilliant. If you came to our house, you know who designed it? The inside of it? I mean, painting and things on the wall or whatever she's doing to our bedroom while I'm away. She did. I don't know. Hopefully it's good. But here's the thing. I listen to her. I'm a skater who skates all hours of the night. I remember saying to her, Babe, it's 1030. I'm going to go take Jude and Eden skating by McDonald's. Is that okay? And she goes, no. It's 11 o'clock at night. You won't be home till 3. But here's the point. In the garden, the roles were reversed. God told man, you don't sin. And you know it was Eve who ate of it first, so where was Adam? But in the book of Romans, it says Adam sinned. Why? Because I wasn't going to bath for my family. I didn't know the word. I wasn't washing her in the word. I wasn't trying to die to self. So how was I leading? And likewise, was I giving her something to follow? She doesn't have a tab saying, if you do the right things, I'm going to follow. She needs to be submitted to the call of God anyway. The danger here is, ladies, you're going to feel like this. You're going to say, I'll submit and I'll respect you if I think you deserve it. You're going to literally feel like if you do things the way I think Christ would have you do them, then I'll follow. And if you're honest, you know that's true. My wife, depending where she is in the Lord, can agree to that or not. 
She can say, well, if you were just more godly, babe, that's not what he's saying. This isn't a real conversation, but that's what I would say. Amen? Baby, if you're listening on a podcast or something, I love you, but here we go. But the reality is, I have to go to bat and stand in the gap. I was the one that said originally, I want to deal with any issues I have that was passive aggressive. She said, I want to come alongside. And we began that journey right after we came to faith. We had to learn to love and truly respect one another. So men, are you ready? Husbands, here we go, 25. Husbands, love your wives. This is going to get hard. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. My wife is the first sheep in my life. She's before my oldest, my middle, my youngest. She's before you. She's before me. My relationship with God then flows over to her. It says in verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the word. And it says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And it says down there in verse 29, just as Christ loves the church. And here's why. If I do that, I'm not going to fall into the traps of this world. I'm not going to think first about Brian. I'm going to be focused on this. And it says this in verse 31. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And as they become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Verse 33. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must what? Respect her husband. The number one reason your husband is going to get mad, this is fact, is he feels disrespected. He's going to hate his boss because his boss disrespects him. When my wife disrespects me and I'm thinking, I go do this or do that and it's all for you, that's a trigger. When I don't love her and she doesn't feel secure, and I'm saying we don't see that obviously as often. That's probably why God has me reading this so much. Who knows where I'd be but by the grace of God. Amen. But wives, to come alongside of him and say, babe, where are you in this? Let's pray into it. I bet most of us aren't even doing that. God will move. God will deal with your spouse. God will speak. And so in closing in a moment before we get into some questions, I want to give you just a few things. Here's the things that changed my marriage. The first thing, and this is hard to do, it's praying and worshiping together. It's praying and worshiping together. Most couples don't actually do this. I can pray in that room with everyone before I preach. I can pray in the room tomorrow for an hour. I can pray for whatever you want. But there's going to be a different resistance towards my wife and I praying and worshiping together. To have worship on, to listen to things. I mean, my wife loves to craft, so what did I do? I got her a book and said, babe, at times I'm going to send you prayer requests for people and you craft in that book, whatever it is, and we'll open that book and we'll begin to pray and worship together. Why? Some of you are going to have a hard time praying in the car, praying tomorrow, because that pride comes in. You're vulnerable. Your spouse knows what you said, knows what you think. Let the flesh die. Good. Learn to pray and worship together. Amen. Second thing, equally as hard, reading together. When my mom passed away many years ago at the same time, and I'd shared this a few times ago, but my wife had miscarried. It was such a hard time for us. My wife was shook in her faith. We'd come out of a church where there was a crazy transition, and she was just having her own deal with the Lord. Lord, where am I in this? And I remember it was a James Dobson book. That's all it was. A book someone had wrote that was 365 days of spending time with the Lord daily. Sure, we prayed. Sure, we read. But it was every night knowing 
even if I traveled printing out those pages that we spent even just 15 minutes to 30 minutes or an hour, which is a lot of time by how busy we get, amen? Don't think I have this down. But just doing that every night and relating and beginning to read together, it literally changed our marriage where after a few days you're like, hey, what time are we doing this tonight? It's back to the relating. Third thing that some of you might want to not hear and some of you do is play together. That same couple as earlier, they'd stop being physical. I've heard of pastors in ministry who haven't been physical with their wives in over 10 years. And how crazy is that? Oftentimes a woman says, I want to do all these different things in ministry. Well, ladies, part of your ministry is being his wife and learning how to play together. Amen? I say that because I sat with a couple, dear friends of ours, and he was like, Brian, I'll do anything. I will read. I will pray. I'll go to church. I'll do whatever. And she said, I'll do all those things, but I just don't want to be physical right now. I'm done being physical. There had been no infidelity, and so as I sat back, I thought, okay, let's just say Christianity is a, is a car, and there's four wheels on this car. And the first car is praying, and the second car is reading, and maybe the next car is being a good servant, whatever you want, the next wheel. And the fourth car is being physical, the first, fourth wheel rather. If you take any one of those wheels off, is the car going to operate right, yes or no? You want him to be a more godly man by withholding something from him, and I'll tell you, that sex in this world has become a tool that is abused in such a way that it's crazy. My mom said before she passed away, men used to exploit women, but women exploit themselves today. There's whole industries. I'm not just talking about that industry on the internet where people are selling this and it's all a game and it's all about how we look and there's so much frustration and here's what happened. You guys might remember the guy many years ago who passed away, Miles Monroe. He said, men don't want sex, men need sex. He said, men carry a seed like any other animals. It's within a man. I'm not saying it to lower the standard, but what I'm saying is he goes to work, his boss sucks. He comes home, you know what? He might just want to jump into the shower with you. He might not want to buy roses and flowers, have this romantic night, sell you sweet, sweet songs. What's the guy's name? Barry White. He might just be like, babe, I'm really mad right now. That's a bonding you don't get with someone else. Sometimes it's going to be when it's good in life. Sometimes it's not. But you say, Brian, why are you going here? Because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, now for the matters you wrote about, they said, what do we do about sex? Here's what he says. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because sexual immorality, meaning outside of marriage is a caring, each man should have these relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. If you're wondering what the Bible says about this, it's only for marriage. If you've gone there, repent, tend to the Lord, seek the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Women generally say this is all men think about. And I'll tell you why. It is everywhere. You study advertising in America 15 years ago, Carl's Jr. advertisements. You know what it was sold with? Mostly naked women. Healthcare advertisements now. Like I said, even the weather girl, it is everywhere, all over the place. And it is wrong that people see that, but now you're even seeing it where women. It said 13% of women look at pornography at work. 
I was at a youth camp about two months ago, and a 13-year-old girl came up to me after preaching out of Hebrews, and she said, I'm so ashamed of this. I have never told anyone. But two years ago, I found something on a phone, and I have been looking at it daily ever since. That girl was 11. 11. For two years, all of this junk has been ministering to her about what should be taking place in the bedroom. And can you only imagine the things? I sat up with a leader and said, deal with it. But I'm saying that to say, even the idea that a wife says, I need to be close with my husband, that's a type of security. It's a spiritual act. It is not just physical. I can promise you this, so many times your husband is acting so lame and the second you're physical, he forgets all about it. Am I wrong? Guys, I'm a man. I know. I get it. Ladies, likewise, I've sat with women who when they were going through hell in their marriage, their husband would not be physical with them and it drove them crazy. People asking my wife and I, how can I get him to do this and that? Well, six months ago, she wouldn't go near him. This is what I'm saying. This can be used as a weapon. The problem is, You both have different ideas of how this is played out. It goes back to relating. How much, how often, what's the circumstances? The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. You should read about it, dig into it, talk to some people you trust about it, bring it to the Lord. But guys, it is an act of service. It says in verse 4, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. And this isn't for abuse. This is a trusting in the Lord and trusting in this process. I'm a vessel given to him, him to me. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. What does he say next? Do not deprive each other. If I was an elder here and I sat with the staff and we said, oh, we're way over a budget, but we've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about it, amen? If I sat there and said, people are depriving one another, would they say, well, that's the word of God. I'm not saying go home, make your demands. That's not loving. I don't command my wife to do all these things. But I have to build that relationship so into that because what happens is when there's bitterness, when you won't go there, you are a human creature. Sure, you're a mago day made in God's image, but these things are going to come out in some way. There's going to be a way that it shows up. You are made passionate. You are made in a sinful, fallen world. There's going to be a reality here. And what do you mean by that? Well, God's the one saying it. Do not deprive each other. Why, God? Unless it is by mutual agreement and only for a time. Why only for a time? So you may devote yourselves to prayer. So if we want to fast from being physical to pursue God even more, even though he's in us, but to go deeper and hear things and be less distracted, okay, God, that's why. But then be together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of what? God is not saying the man who goes off and does something and says, well, it's your fault. God is not saying that. But he's also not saying don't be humble enough to walk into these realms with your husband so you can stand back and say, see, you've got issues. You went into this marriage, ahava. Do not arouse or awaken love until what? It so desires. This is an act of service. This is an act of bonding. There is no other woman for me to be like this with for the rest of my life unless, heaven forbid, something happens to my wife. And even then, that's the Lord's leading. So many of the issues in marriage come down to this. Yes, we need to pray and worship and read. It's an act of humility because I tell you what, when someone's appetite is cleansed and full, they're not thinking it. And that's not right. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But this is what God has said. The third thing here, and think about this. The first thing we see is that sex is to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis. 
Second thing is sex is for unity. They will become one flesh. Third thing we see is the whole book of Song of Songs. Children are never mentioned. The whole book is about pleasure. Yes, it's in your Bible. Fourth thing, and that's all I'm saying, is it's about protection, 1 Corinthians 7. I say this because 20 years ago the church didn't know what to do with this. Is my son going to learn about this stuff on the baseball field? Oh, he heard all those words. Are they going to tell people not to be physical as the Catholic Church did? Is this why there's so many priests coming under all this condemnation? Because they're telling them you can't have a spouse and they were never meant to go there and all kinds of craziness has happened? Yes. I say that simply and here's the final thing that's important. The number one thing after praise and worship, reading and that unity is you need to begin to serve. I don't mean come in the church and surf and do whatever, do that. But you need to live a servant's life to God. Here's why. I haven't got time to be on drugs. I haven't got time for an addiction. I haven't got time for an affair. Do you know why? Because I'm trying to serve the Lord. As far as I showed up and you know this is the message, I mean, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He showed us how to do it for three and a half years. He died and rose again and said, just one more thing before the book of Revelation. I want you to now go, listen, when I go speak at a rehab, it isn't about getting off drugs. It's about serving the Lord. Why? I haven't got time for an affair when I'm hanging out with you guys. I haven't got time for addictions. You get what I'm saying? You have been wonderfully and fearfully made, and some of our gifts are so used in the world, and hey, that's great. But as you say, Lord, sit at an altar here. You'll hear a word. I feel called to Uganda. I feel called to Tim Hortons. I feel called to wherever. What is the Lord saying? I feel called to help the babies in the room. Whatever it is, if you're not actively serving, I don't just mean in the church, don't get that. I'm an out of the church in way ministry. I'm an evangelist. But Ephesians 2.10 says you are his workmanship. So as you begin to leave these things, following him and fishing for men. And why? Because this commission is what shapes it all. It's not about our issue of marriage. It's about our faith. In my marriage today, tomorrow, the next day, I've got to pray and worship. I've got to read. I've got to pursue my wife. She's got to be willing to be pursued by me. And those things are hard. If you're always fighting, if there's frustration, if there's past hurts, if all that exists, it's going to be difficult. But the Bible says what? With man, certain things are impossible. But with God, all things what? Are possible. The Bible says with love that what? It never fails. We just give it up for the Lord for a moment. And do we have any questions or we, we do? Okay, man, some of you guys are brave enough for some questions. We'll get through some of these. Perfect. We got four questions. And don't tap your spouse or say anything that gives it away. Guys, listen, I heard a saying one time, a wise man once said nothing. And that's true. God already knows where you are. He knows why they're here or not. And when conviction, when life flows, amen. So here's the first question, right? This is very common. When trust has been broken by adultery, how can you build trust again? Okay, so I purposely spoke about that in the prior session because it's relevant. It's rampant. It's real. If there has been adultery consistently it's normally lasted for four months to eight months it's always been in these patterns or it's been a long time but i've seen more marriages restored than not and here's what i'd say right after the fact it is going to be very hard 
Every time that spouse goes to a phone or leaves the house or goes to work, you are not going to feel good. That is just not what happens. The Bible calls us to forgive, and you need to forgive. Forgiveness isn't about you. Release the other person. I spoke years ago here about Forrest Gump and how Jenny was throwing rocks at that house. Remember in Forrest Gump? All the years later, she was still mad about what her dad had said and done to her. Guys, you don't want to be like Jenny, throwing rocks bitter and hurt. But here's the reality. You have been hurt and wounded. What you want to do is choose daily to forgive. And the other thing is, you're going to have to learn how to forget. And the only way that happens, I'll tell you, a year to two to three years, it can sound crazy. Here's, I mean, here's a reality I don't say much, but when I wasn't with my wife, we went together. We were off with other people at times. I wasn't a believer. In a sense, we've dealt with this. We had to come together, and some of us want to know every detail. Some of us don't. But you have to build that trust all again. I could do that because now we're in Christ. The old has passed away, all has become new. But if you are with someone who has entered this realm, you've got to say, you have to be willing to go there. If you're willing to stay with the person, and I'll say this because my friend would let, would let me share this, and this is crazy. I'm normally the guy that gets called when things are crazy because I try and be very straight. And a friend of mine in another state had, um, had this happen to him years ago, and there was repentance and all such things. And guys, people fully repent. I believe they come to faith. But then recently, even though they had a few kids, she fell back into it again in a way that there was no faith. There was no repentance. She's living this way. And she says, what do I do? And I said, you need to open up your Bible, the Proverbs 5, 6, 7. You need to read these verses that are very radical. And you need to say, this is who God says you are and the way that you're living. It's not that we can convince someone not to do this. It's that the fear of God has to get a hold of someone. Why? Because fear is good. It is a good thing to fear God. Isaiah the prophet was in his presence, and he loved the Lord, right? And he shows up and says, woe is me. He knew where he should have been. But what the reality is, is when a spouse gets this and realizes this, and here's going to be your hard thing. And I'm saying this to the other spouse, if they're here or if whatever. Couples I've sat with, that spouse who's had this committed against them is at times going to look at the other spouse and probably say words they shouldn't, maybe throw something, be mad, be crazy. You know, if it's a woman, lose it. And for the other spouse, if they're really repentant, just let them go through with it. Let them have closure. Let them deal with it. If this was me to my wife, I'm like, babe, whatever you want. Want to see my phone? There it is. Told me to do this? There it is. They're going to be a little bit paranoid at first. They're going to be crazy, but you're in a crazy hole. As you trust, if they're repentant, God's good. But here's the other thing I want you to know. If they're not repentant, if they live this way, God is still good and he will blow your mind. If this person, I told my friend that his spouse just fall back into this, I said, your faith is not contingent on them. You have loved her, you've led her, she's not repentant, he wants her to stay and all this stuff. And if she just left, he said, Brian, she left, I go, hey, if she's not your spouse, if you're suddenly divorced, the day you are divorced, it's done. God can still restore it. A lot of couples don't wake up until the divorce has happened and they want it. But listen, if not, he has someone else in mind. And if you don't have the gift that Paul had to not be married, he has someone else for you. But I would say this, openly confess. There's things you say, Lord, there's things I need to know and I don't. The spouse needs accountability. Maybe that's why I said all the stuff I did. But God is faithful. In fact, and I didn't even put this in here, but 
the reason that book exists is because when I sat with that couple, they were leaving, and I thought, what could I hand them that could give them all these things that we wrestle with? And I can give you a Bible, and the Bible is the best thing, but are they going to understand 66 books over the course of 30 days and find all the verses and understand it? No. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to write this book to unpack things. So after 30 days, they see our mess, they hear of their mess, and if they're diligent, I mean, for one, reading other books shows a diligence. Accountability, humility, so hopefully that answered your question. Hey guys, hope you have enjoyed the episode. I encourage you, uh, sit with your pastors, your leadership, some prayer, uh, get the resources that are out there. Even hit me up on the line, briansumner.net or through Instagram, one of those things. Um, I am praying for marriages. I know it is a battle, it is tough, but it is a blessing and can be beautiful if we trust in what the Lord is doing. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share, like, subscribe. There is a YouTube channel under my name. And remember, the Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God bless. Baby, you know you drive me crazy. Story Podcast.